This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. That's another big-time blast. Once again, it's showtime. The Angels are in the same stance they've been for, you know, a long time. If you want an offer, you want to make an offer for Otani, they'll listen. The Dodgers are always, always there. They're saving all their money for Otani, either as in a trade or as a free agent. A team like Texas has a very, very deep farm system. But I'm definitely interested in improving our, our uh, chances as we move forward here in this final push. Happy Monday. Welcome into Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Alongside Jordan Renan, I'm Michelle Smallman, and we're getting closer and closer to baseball's trade deadline. A lot mm-hmm. of questions that we're going to get into with our ESPN Major League Baseball insider, Tim Kirkchen, who joins us now. Tim, thank you so much for the time. And before we get into general baseball questions and questions about the trade deadline, you are such a baseball historian, so I I needed to ask you about Fred McGriff and Scott Rowland, who were enshrined into Cooperstown yesterday. They're the latest base people to be in baseball immortality. But when you look at these two players, what made Rowland and McGriff Hall of Famers, in your opinion? Well, McGriff was one of the great power hitters in the big leagues for 15 years. And he was such a consistent 30 home run guy. He's the only guy ever to hit 30 homers for five different teams. And I think that worked against him a little bit because he never really established himself as, say, the best player in Blue Jays history or the best first baseman the Braves ever had because he moved around enough because he was always in such demand. And let's not forget, if it weren't for the work stoppage in 94-95, he easily would have hit 500 homers. He was a clean guy during the steroid era. That worked against him. So he should have been in on the writer's ballot. I voted for him every year. And you go ask Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, Chipper Jones, how that team changed when Fred McGriff showed up. It was fairly obvious to them. As for Scott Rowland, well, after Brooks Robinson and Nolan Arenado, I think he's, well, he's the third best third baseman I've ever seen defensively. Offensively, he was very good also. Very good player in his early 20s. Still a very good player in his mid to late 30s. And when you look at a guy who played the game the right way, you look at Scott Rowland. He wasn't the fastest guy in the league, but he was as good a base runner as there was in the game for his entire career. And every time he hit a home run, he would put his head down and run around the bases almost as fast as he could. I kind of always liked that about Scott Rowland. He did things the right way from the beginning to the end. Tim, well, well, thanks for the time, first of all. Appreciate it. Uh, let's transition now to the current game, and you talk about guys that do everything right and look at Shohei Otani, right? Um, trade deadline, one week away. The Angels, you can make an argument whether they're contenders or not. You called that one of the most difficult situations you've ever seen in regards to Otani and possibly trading him. What do you mean by that? Well, <laughs> He's the most remarkable player we've ever seen. And if you have to make a decision, do we trade maybe the most talented player in Major League history, or do we keep him? To me, by definition, that's about as hard a decision 
as you can make. And it makes it even more difficult that if you don't trade him, you keep him, and then you lose him to free agency, and all you get in return is a draft choice. Uh, that That's an impossible situation for the Angels. And I think what they're going to do, at least at this moment, is since they still have a chance to make a wild card and play in October, I think they're going to hang on to him as long as they have a wild card opportunity, and they do, because I, I think they are going to do everything they possibly can to keep him as long as he can. And if they, if they can make the playoffs, they can at least point to it and say, hey, we played in October with you. We're going to do this more during your contract. Sign with us long term, and maybe that's their only chance to keep him. It's not a good chance, but I think they have to try everything possible to keep him without trading him. Tim, when you talk to people around baseball, is there any sense of what Otani wants to do long term? Because I, I hear everything from he doesn't want to go to the East Coast. He does. He might not like pitching in X Stadium. He's comfortable in Anaheim. It seems like there's all of these different things that are swirl, swirling around there, but nobody's firmly said that they have an idea of what he might like to do long term. Well, he's got a lot of things he'd like to do long-term, like he'd like to win. He'd like to win a World Series. He'd like to play in October every year. But but he does. He is obsessed with his own numbers, not to suggest that he's not obsessed with winning because he is. And his comfort level is very important to him. Which mound do I feel comfortable pitching on? In what ballparks do I really love to hit? What team is going to give me the opportunity to get to do exactly what the Angels have allowed him to do? I think any team would say, come to us, we'll let you do both, of course. So, yes, comfort is very important to him, but winning is more, is more important than anything, and he's going to have to find a team that's going to give him a chance to win as many years as possible. Tim, aside from Otani, right, we're, we're talking about other potential trade targets. Like, Is there a sense at this point of which teams might be big sellers or might be big buyers? Well, I think the sellers um, are, are fairly, well, they're not obvious, but, you know, the Rockies and the Nationals and the, the Royals and the A's who are not going anywhere, uh, logically they're going to sell some players um, to contending teams. And, of course, the White Sox likely will be in that category. Are the Cubs going to be in that category? These are the really t- tricky questions. In all the years I've covered, I'm telling you multiple times, I've had a general manager tell me, if we win the game tonight, we're going to be buyers. If we lose the game tonight, we're going to have to be sellers. That's how fine the line is between buying and selling, and sometimes it comes down not just the last day, but the last hour. Wow. Well, no no pressure as we approach that August 1st trade deadline. ESPN Major League Baseball insider Tim Tim Kirkjian joining us here on Canteen Carlin. A team that's so intriguing that's out there, Tim, is the San Diego Padres. They're 10 games uh, behind the Dodgers in the NL West. Do you think that they're going to be adding or dealing at the deadline? Uh, again, a lot of difficult questions this time of year, especially yeah. this year. I'm saying that the Padres don't have much of a choice but to try to buy. Now, they're not going to buy much because they've already spent this much money. I think they look at their club and say, 
we are due for a real hot streak, and that real hot streak can get them potentially into the playoffs, and it's not going to be easy. But when you have expectations this high, when you have spent this much money to bring people in in the last couple of years, it's really hard to give up. But if they do indeed struggle the next eight days and they look up and they're realistic and say, we're not going to the playoffs, then they're going to they're gonna sell off Josh Hader, free agent at the end of the year, Blake Snell, free agent at the end of the year, and both of those guys could bring a lot in return. But I just don't think the Padres at this moment are going to be in sell mode. They're still trying to make the playoffs, and if they do, my goodness, they could still be a very dangerous team in October. When it all comes down to it, uh, what big name do you think has the best chance to be moved, right? We talked about Otani a little bit. There's, we hear about the Cody Bellingers. You know, there's been some talk about whether the Mets would look to be moving guys like Max Scherzer or anyone. Is there any big names that you feel like is out there that has a chance to get moved for real? Um, I think the three potential biggest names to go could be Marcus Stroman of the Cubs, mm-hmm. who could really help a he could really help the Orioles, he could really help the Yankees, he could help any team. Lucas Giolito of the White Sox could really help any team as a you know at least a number two starter. He's pitched exceptionally well lately. Uh, so those are two guys to keep your eye on for sure. And you mentioned him. Cody Bellinger's got seven homers, and he's hitting four fifty-seven in the month of July. And he has to – I mean, look how many teams could use another middle-of-the-order hitter. And in this case, he can play all three outfield possessions – first base and he's still a gold glove caliber guy he's still young and he can still run he would help so many teams but the cubs again have to make sure they decide are we in or are we out because they don't want to trade off two of their best players if they have an outside chance to make the playoffs so that's why this year to me is so confusing what about Nolan Arnado, Tim? Because we know the Cardinals, after a surprisingly difficult season, are going to be active at the deadline. And you're, you're seeing names like Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery, guys that are, are basically as good as gone based on their contract situation. But I keep seeing Nolan Arenado's name pop up. And I know it would be kind of the antithesis of a John Mosellock, Bill DeWitt move to move a star like that. But do you think they could potentially have Nolan Arenado on the trade block? Yeah, I do, but I don't think they're going to trade him. I mean, Michelle, you know the Cardinal fans. You know how things work there. People drive four and a half hours to see a (laughs) Cardinal game. They're a regional team, and if suddenly Goldschmidt isn't there and Arenado isn't there and they've sold over three million tickets for this season, I'm not sure the Cardinals are in the position of, of a big rebuild like that. They just don't do that. So my guess is Goldschmidt stays, Arenado stays, and a couple of those pitchers you mentioned, Montgomery, Hicks, people like that, they move. Tim, I'm based out of you know New Jersey, New York area. Nobody here, nobody is a believer in the Mets or the Yankees right now, right? But the Yankees are still in the playoff picture above 500. Do you see a big move for them? And conversely, we've heard Steve Cohen say if they weren't contenders that they would move guys. Well, it looks like they're heading in that direction. Are the, can the, do you see the Mets really pulling the trigger on some of these moves? 
Uh, the Mets are confusing to me. I think if they're honest with themselves, they're not going to the playoffs this year. So, therefore, they move, let's say, Tommy Pham or Mark Canna, um, guys that could help. David Robertson could help contenders. The question is, how much are you going to get back for that, and is it going to be worth it? The bigger mm-hmm. question is, would they move Scherzer? Would they move Verlander? I think they would have to pay a lot of money of those salaries in order to move them. And I'm not sure that makes any sense because if you move Scherzer and Verlander, what does their pitching look like for next year? They don't have anyone coming from the minor leagues that's going to just jump in there. So I think they're in another really tricky spot. And I think the Yankees are the Yankees. They can't afford to give up. They have a wild card opportunity here. they they just swept the Royals, so I think they have to go by, and I think they have to do something dramatic if they're going to make it to the playoffs and then maybe even do something in October. Be sure to follow our ESPN MLB insider Tim Kirkchin on social media at Kirkchin underscore ESPN. Great information as always, Tim. Always love chatting with you. Have a great rest of your day, and thanks for the time. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Bye-bye. You know, you know what Tim said real quick? He oh, said, the Yankees, they need to do something dramatic. Yeah. And, and I agree with they? that. And that's don't like they? getting like an Arenado or even like surprising the world and going after a guy like Goldschmidt. Or like that's like literally what they need. They need a, they need a legit high end perennial all star hitter. Like that's the oh, only way like that the Yankees Otani? are. I, I don't even want to consider that because it seems so <laughs> unrealistic. It just seems so unrealistic. I, I kind of agree with what Tim was saying though. Like, if you're the Angels, your only chance to keep him is, and this is the greatest player like we've ever seen because of what he does on both sides, is to basically keep him, sell him that we're a good franchise, and not give up on him and not trade him. Like, that's their only chance, like, to potentially keep this guy who, first of all, they shouldn't, they shouldn't even contemplate it. They're the Angels. They have a gazillion dollars. They should just find a way to build a good team. They should, but they haven't. They haven't built around Shohei Otani. They couldn't get it done with Mike Trout. They didn't get it done with Albert Pujols. So then what should they do? Get rid of the franchise? They have to move him, and they have to get something. I mean, imagine if he walks away and you get a low-end draft pick for him. You get virtually nothing when you could have traded the best player that we will ever see in our lifetimes and completely revitalize your farm system and put your organization in a chance that maybe they could compete. I mean, I know it's a risk and I know you don't want to have that asterisk next to your name in baseball history. You don't want to, Perry Manassian does not want to be the guy that's known as trading a Shohei Otani. That's why but, you pull out every stop to keep him. But do you, you make the big move to bring in a guy? If that's I what it takes. I understand, but do you want Anything. to be known as the guy that got nothing for him? I mean, I just, I, so Tim Brown I'd rather really be known that the guy that got nothing for him than the guy that got traded that traded him and then got fired afterwards because you're going nowhere. So Tim brought up something really interesting that I would love to explore with you, Jordan. So I've been interviewing a lot of people about this. This is the biggest story in baseball. It's the best player we've ever seen. He could potentially move. And and the fact that the Angels have somehow kept themselves in the conversation makes it even more of an intriguing prospect. But Tim points out that he loves his own stats and he loves to be comfortable. Yeah, that was interesting. I've heard him say that before. And in other people I've spoken with, that is very much at play here. If he doesn't want to go to the East Coast, mm-hmm. that's something that the Yankees need to consider. Not only 
the fact that they don't have a great farm system. Oh, for sure. You know, I mean, you can offer up Anthony Volpe, but even I don't think that will be enough for what someone like the Rays or another team could potentially present to the table if they want to trade for Shohei Otani. But I I can't remember who told me this, but somebody mentioned that he might not love pitching at Dodger Stadium. So maybe that's at play here. If you're the Angels, you do everything you can to sell him on the comfort that he has there, the ballpark, your your stats being inflated, et cetera, et cetera. If they can somehow make the playoffs, maybe you can look him in the eyes and truthfully tell him that you can find a way to get him to, to compete for a World Series. Because that's going to be the ultimate, I think, X factor is Hear can he win there. Even but if I, you don't get make the playoffs, if you make a move to show him we will do anything, literally anything to keep you and build this team into a winner, eventually you will get it right. You know, we are going to get it right. Like, we, if we, if you keep throwing money at it, eventually you will get it right. That's then he's doing. not going anywhere. But they've been, they've been. Have Artie they? Moreno has been making it rain for the past Have ten they? years, and he can't get it right. The Where's Rendon the contract, pitching staff? But this is what I'm saying. They Where's acquire, the pitching staff? They're not making the right baseball moves. So if he, if if Artie Moreno tells Shohei Otani, we're going to throw money at this, we're going to figure out. I'm going to say point to one example. Show me in the past 10 years what touch point I can look at and believe you. Bring in the pitcher right now to stand next to Otani. He's got nothing. Bring in the best available pitcher out there. I don't know who he is. You know, (laughs) Shane Bieber, maybe somehow. I know they're a good team. They would probably, but something like that, where you're showing him that you will do anything to make sure that you feel the competitive team next to him and Mike Trout. You cannot let either of those two guys go. You cannot. They're I'm, Los Angeles market in well, baseball. It's Anaheim. Come on. It's, it's the Los Angeles market. Yeah, but it's Anaheim. Should, it's they, should they just give up their team then? Because that's what you're saying. If you, if you, no, can't, if you can't make it work with Otani and Trout, you might as well just give up the franchise. I, I think it's outrageous that you've had arguably the two best players in baseball. I know Mike Trout's hurt and he's dealt with injuries. That you've had those two guys on your team and you can't figure it out. Now, baseball is such a complicated game. It's more than, than two players. We'll only one team in, uh, in Los Angeles anyway. <laughs> Maybe they figure out a way to go out and get Lucas Giolito. I don't know. I don't know if that would be enough. Uh, especially, you know, Mike Trout's going to come back. Maybe they can go on a run. I am just too practical and I would not want to walk away with it, with the chance that I could get nothing for him. I'm not letting Otani go. Under any circumstance. None. Zero. None. So so you say to your fan base, if he walks away, goes to the Dodgers, the Yankees, whatever, in a year, you say, hey, at least we tried to keep him. That's We what you're tried everything humanly possible to keep this guy. We made this move at the trade deadline to make sure that we're better, that we had a chance to make the playoffs this year. Not and it's not whatever move they make it not only for this year but it's for next year too, right? Because you get a guy who you, you get a pitcher who you're going to invest in long term, yeah, and you put him next to Otani, and so that's you know what I funny? would do. Not you're giving like, up on him. Go out and get the best player, the pitcher at the deadline. He is the best pitcher that could <laughs> be at the deadline. That's the him. second best, I should say, second best. <laughs> He's Jordan Renan. I'm Michelle Smallman. We want to hear from you. Eight 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 say ESPN. That's eight 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 seven two nine three seven seven six. What would you do? Are you if you're Perry Manazian? Are you in my seat where you you deal Shohei Otani? You you get all the 
the assets that you can. You build your farm system and hopefully you can position yourself moving forward. Or are you like Jordan? You're going to hang on to him no matter what, or at least try to. Give us a call. Get in on the conversation. But coming up next, which quarterback, 25 year old, years old or younger, would you want to start your franchise with? We're going to debate it next on Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more More than than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C. Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets but expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Canty and Carlin, the podcast. Hey, let's go do our job, man. NFL Nation Two-A-Days. Time is here! On ESPN Radio. The Houston Texans. Blue 58! Go! This is DJ Biennemade covering the Houston Texans for NFL Nation. The biggest storyline for the Houston Texans centers around quarterback CJ Stroud. The Texans took him number two overall. So every throw, every drop back, every incompletion, every sack is going to be analyzed, scrutinized, and focused on. Mainly because the Texans have been in a rebuild for about three years. They finally have the perceived quarterback of the future. So their rebuild can only succeed if their quarterback looks like he has the goods to be the franchise guy. Countdown to kickoff with NFL Nation Two-A-Days on ESPN Radio. Football's right around the corner. And we continue our ESPN Radio NFL Two-A-Days here on Canty and Carlin. Alongside Jordan Renan, I'm Michelle Smallman. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And we already took a look at the Chicago Bears. Now it's time to pivot 
and focus in on the Houston Texans. And we do so with Lance Zierlein. He's the co-host of The Bench on 97.5 in Houston, and he's a draft analyst for NFL Network. Lance, thank you so much for the time. And the Houston Texans are an intriguing team for a lot of reasons, namely their quarterback, C.J. Stroud. But when you look at them finishing 313-1 last year, they were in the basement of the AFC South. What is realistic for them this season? What does success look like for the Houston Texans in 2023? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think the problem is there's different markers for it. Um, You know, if you want to just boil it down to a win total, I think six is probably a pretty good season for them. But really for the Houston Texans, this is so much more about seeing actual growth on on, on the field, seeing growth in the locker room and seeing a different mindset and mentality. They've been stuck in neutral, uh, frankly, since Bill O'Brien's last year where he was fired. And then, you know, David Cully and Lovey Smith were, were just Band-Aids. But there's something real about, about D'Amico Ryans and the energy he brings to the field, the positivity. I've never in all my life, my dad's been a coach almost my entire life, you know, until he retired. I've been around sports a long time. I don't think I've ever seen a coach in football, basketball, or baseball, college or pro, who has the type of uplifting mentality and just general positivity in the way he conducts himself like D'Amico Ryans. And I think, you know, I know you guys have been around. It's rare for a coach to say anything nice about a rookie. They always want to make sure that rookies get put in their place and rookies don't get to say this. And, you know, they're not going to compliment rookies too early until they've earned something. That was not D'Amico Ryans. I mean, from the very beginning, oh, man, I like Tank Dell. I really like what I'm seeing from C.J. Stroud. And so I think you're going to have – I think it's about the mentality that grows in that locker room. And then if you see them much better in week 14 than they were in week three, I think that that can make for a successful season. But I think realistically they could get to as many as seven wins this season if some things break their way. Lance, this is Jordan Ronan. I appreciate the time, man. Um, curious what you think with C.J. Stroud, how big a learning curve and what's that going to be like for him this year? I think it's a learning curve, a big one, because coming from Ohio State, um, I think the offense is so good at finding weaknesses defensively and having quarterbacks who can exploit the weaknesses with some great talent around them at wide receiver. I think the thing that makes C.J. Stroud a little more – um, a little more pro-ready than some of the other quarterbacks that have come out of Ohio State that, that he gets compared to is that he is a really accurate passer, really good with ball placement. And I think in Bobby Slowick's passing game, which is going to be coming over from San Francisco, it really takes advantage of wide receivers playing in space. It allows quarterback to throw, to throw the area instead of the tight window. And I think from a timing standpoint and a footwork standpoint, and, a, and an accuracy standpoint, I think there's a chance that C.J. Stroud really may benefit from, you know, A, the running game with Damian Pierce and threatening, you know, uh, linebackers and safeties with that as the first option. But then secondarily, his ability to throw the ball accurately in space to a levels passing concept. So to me, I think the learning curve, yes, it's there like with every white, uh, every quarterback, and I do think that he's going to have to get used to really – recognizing much more on the field. But I think this offense is actually extremely well-suited to what C.J. Stroud's strengths are. 
Lance Zierlein, he's the co-host of The Bench on 97.5 in Houston, breaking down the Houston Texans with us. Same question about Will Anderson Jr. How how do you mm-hmm. expect he's going to present in year one? Do you think he's going to hit the ground running, or do you think there will be a learning curve? Well, I'll mention it here. I guess I'm writing the Defensive Rookie of the Year, my top ten. Okay. And I've got Will Anderson, number number one. I've got Stroud, go. by the way, number Stroud's number three So on offense. But my Defensive Rookie of the Year, which will – be out at NFL.com probably later this week. Um, I put Will Anderson one, and, you know, I looked at the entire list of players, and honestly, I mean, Will Anderson's very – he's very gifted as a rusher. He has uh, a lot of tools in the toolbox when it comes to attacking tackles. He's got the first-step quickness. Um, he is a fluid rusher. I think he's strong enough with his hands at the point of attack to make a difference from a, a run defense standpoint. But I think the real key to me is – D'Amico Ryan's one of the things that he can do as a former defensive coordinator is really work with Matt Burke, the defensive coordinator, on on finding ways to isolate uh, um, to find you know to isolate Will Anderson against weaker opposition and moving him around a little bit might be an interesting concept. I don't know if they'll do that or not, but Will can play standing up or with the hand down. So if you want to go with an even front or an odd front, and Will Anderson's still your guy and he was extremely productive in three years in the SEC, really productive against top-level tackle talent. And that kind of you know history of production, it typically translates very quickly into the NFL. So I think we're going to see a guy who is a hard-charging, hard-working player really mix in really well with D'Amico Ryans, as I already mentioned, that attitude. And I think he's got a chance to take over kind of a leadership role fairly early on on that defense. Lance, you brought it up before, uh, the Ohio State quarterbacks, the challenges they face, you know, taking the jump to the NFL because of the system, because of the coaching, because of the, the talent that they have around them. Well, the other team we're doing today happens to have an Ohio State quarterback and Justin, former Ohio State quarterback and Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. He's been okay as a passer in his first two years. We saw what he could do as a runner last year, dynamite, right, electric. How much do you think – he could make that jump in year three as the passer that everybody's hoping he can become. Well, you know, I think he's been below average as a, a passer and kind of disappointing. I think he's been really good running the football. With that said, I think he can make a big jump. I think what people have to remember is acclimating to the NFL system takes time. Um, and number two, I mean, I know it's said all the time, but it's really, it's not an excuse. It's a reality. The pass, the pass protection hasn't been great, mm-hmm. and there haven't been the amount of targets, that the necessary targets in place uh, for, you know, for him to flourish. And I think when you look now, by adding, by adding uh, more in, the, in, in terms of uh, the trade that they made, I thought that was critical to go find your wide receiver one because you weren't going to find it in this year's draft. I think that you are going to see um, – much better play across the board at the wide receiver position because they do have some talent at that wide receiver position. They just didn't get, oh, the wide receiver that came over from the Steelers, blanking on his name. Um, Chase Claypool. Yeah, Chase Claypool. They didn't get the play from Claypool last year that they wanted, but when I talked to Ryan Poles over at the Senior Bowl, he said, you know, a lot of it was a case of just coming in at midseason and trying to really learn the terminology. And my gosh, if we watched quarterbacks on Netflix – Man, have you have we been schooled on how tough the terminology can be? That's just play call. And imagine some of the terminology issues that you have to get through. And this is when you're on the run in the middle of a season. So 
I think Chase Claypool will be much, much better this year. And I think Justin Fields, the game's really going to slow down for him. I, I think Justin Fields is going to really surprise some people this year and, and take a big jump forward. Now, how big that jump, in, jump is is going to depend on how consistent his technique is throughout the season. Great information from Lance Zierlein. He's the co-host of The Bench on 97.5 in Houston and also a draft analyst for NFL Network. Be sure to follow his great work on social media at Lance Zierlein. Lance, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. I appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Breaking down the Houston Texans with Lance. He's Jordan Renan. I'm Michelle Smallman. Coming up next on Canty and Carlin, the Tennessee Titans unveiled the Oilers throwback uniforms. I think they're garbage. I'm going to get Jordan's take next. On ESPN Radio on the ESPN app. ESPN Radio's NFL Two-A-Days continue. An in-depth preview of every team in the National Football League. So badly want to bring Super Bowl here. NFL Two-A-Days. Two teams. Every day. Touchdown, what a start! As we storm toward the start of the 2023 NFL season. NFL Two-A-Days continues right here on ESPN Radio. This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. That's right. We will always remember them as the Houston Oilers, even though they were the Tennessee Oilers for two seasons. But let's talk a little fashion. Jordan Ron on. Two seasons. Wow. That's a long <laughs> time. Candy and Garland on ESPN Radio. So we had a big unveiling, a uniform unveiling, Jordan. The Tennessee Titans announced that they're going to rock their throwback uniform in 2023 it's the old school houston slash tennessee oilers uniform now i think these are one of the sickest uniforms in nfl history but i have a bit of an issue with it because they're not yours i i know that they were the tennessee oilers for a hot minute but everybody associates this uniform with houston it makes no sense to me why they wanted to do this it's kind of a slap in the face i agree with you like it's like take that houston we took yeah. your team now we're gonna wear the uniforms and celebrate when they were in houston like what it makes no sense to me at all. If I was in Houston right now and I saw this today, I would be furious. I would be like, hey, so my team left and they went to Tennessee and you changed the name because you wanted a full rebrand and now you're going to take our uniforms and try to make money off it and make it your own. And maybe, Jordan, I'm just a little bitter because I lost a team and I I understand what that's like. Uh, and I would not want to... Rams from this, yeah. the from saying this? So yeah, are you petty? Because I'm petty. Like, I oh. do... Do you hate so the Rams petty. now, or do you hate, hate the people them. associated with the Rams? hate them all, of course. I hate them. But all I also them. have gotten to the point where I'm a little appathetic. After they won the Super Bowl, it was like the book was closed, you know? so was that, I, that must have been hard to stomach, though. Oh, it was disgusting, because someone like Stan Kroenke should never have success, even though he's had it uh, three times over. He's now, having a nuggets, tremendous amount of success, by the, Rams, the way. Yeah. You know what I learned through all this, Jordan? That nice guys do finish last. That th- doing the right thing gets you nowhere in life, um, at least when it comes mm. to the NFL and when it comes to business. Because St. Louis did everything they could to keep that team. They had over $400 million of public money on the table. The fans packed the place even when they went 15 and 65, which is the worst five-year stretch of football in NFL history tied for. 
St. Louis did everything they could. The NFL owners had a secret vote. They allowed Stan to do whatever he wanted because they wanted that market. He paid for it himself. So at the end money, of the day, money, 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 money is all that matters, which is what we're seeing here with the Tennessee Titans using the uniform that identifies the Houston Oilers as their throwback. I think it's, I hate it. I think well, here's so the dumb. problem is the Titans don't have a throwback, though. That's it. That is the problem. So you just don't do it. Then, yeah, the, then there's a say, revenue stream that's not there. All of a sudden. I would just say we abstain. We abstain since we were renamed in 1999. It hasn't been we that long. We abstain for making extra money. <laughs> When's the, how often do you hear that, Michelle? Do you hear that yeah. very often? No, 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 no. We will not take the extra money by ticking off the city of Houston. No, no, no. We'd rather not have the jerseys. Maybe they could have done something to honor like the Jeff Fisher Titans when they were in the Super Bowl in 99. You know, there could be something that was done to denote their heritage that doesn't have to steal from the Houston Oilers. There really isn't much heritage. There isn't. There's, it's, it's a, it, I still view it as a newer market. Don't, I don't know about yeah, you. Absolutely. Like where a newer did they move? Football 97? Yeah. yeah, they moved in 90, 1997. They played their first two seasons as the Tennessee Oilers. Well, they like, switched to the It's Titans like I was in college in 97, and I feel like it was just yesterday. So, you know, <laughs> it was just yesterday that the Tennessee Titans, I mean, the Houston Texans, moved to become the Tennessee Titans. Like, what are we going to see next? The Oklahoma City Thunder rocking Sonics uniforms? No, come on. We're not going to see that. Like, I And I know that they were never the Sonics, but I just don't understand why something that is so fiercely linked to another city you would want to pawn off as your are own. you are you against the jets throwbacks that were shown today i think it was white the jets are what white on the whites no i think those are really cool you like them yeah i think they're great what about you no nah, I, I like them yeah i mean I white on white cool. is white on white is always slick in my opinion i it looks agree good. i agree what's your favorite throwback uniform in the nfl so a lot of people disagreed with me on this and they think they're disgusting but i like the uh the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The creamsicles? Yeah. I'm with the, you. The creamsicles. And, uh, and I, a lot of people are like, ew, those are disgusting. So there wasn't like a middle ground on it, but I'd love the creamsicle uniforms. Uh, I'm I with do. you. I don't know why they're so polarizing. I think they're great as well. I, I think the throwback dolphins, like the Dan Marino era dolphins yeah, yeah, uniforms yeah, yeah. are elite. But when we did the greatest uniforms in the NFL and our ESPN NFL rankums, I threw the creamsicles in their top five yeah, all time. Yeah, me too. So by the way, while we're talking of fashion. Yeah. You know, we were we were talking about this before the Kirk Cousins on Netflix with the uh, the quarterback <laughs> with the, his dad dad uh, clothes. If you go look on Twitter today, he's wearing another one of those short sleeve uh, button down shirts, like the dad shirt, and everybody's making fun of him again. I love it. I think he should lean into that Coles cash as much as he possibly can. But coming up next on Canty and Carlin, Chris Carlin believes the Bills should trade for Saquon Barkley. Is he right? We'll talk about it next. Keep it here on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to the Canty and Carlin podcast. You can listen to the show live weekdays from 3 to 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app. Canty and Carlin, the podcast.